We are in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be starting in verse 7 here this morning. Uh, last week when we got together, we looked at what led to the eating of the forbidden fruit. Eve at ease, Adam's location, uncertain, twisted words. Did God really say, understanding that that is a favorite tactic of the deceiver then and now? And we must be attuned to this in our time uh, to know the truth. Um, We looked at the possible hedges that Adam and Eve had set up. Hey, don't even touch the tree. Okay, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Maybe, maybe not. If it became legalism and became what God said, when God didn't say that, then uh, that might be a bad thing. But if I'm trying to honor God and really trying to avoid that sin, then it might be a good thing. So, um, yes, <laughs> to that situation. A blatant lie. You will not surely die. And interestingly enough, they didn't immediately. So we'll talk about the, the curse next week. Start looking at the curse. Uh, we looked at Eve's cave-in, Adam's cave-in. Eve had options. Eve had options much like we had options. We have options. And we'll talk about that a little bit later as well. But what happened there was that Eve did not trust God. Adam did not trust God. Satan wants us to believe that God is deceiving us, that God has ulterior motives, that he's keeping something from us. He's not giving us the full story so that we begin to question the motives and the intentions of God. And that leads to people abdicating his word. And that is happening all over churches across our country. That is why churches are almost of no effect in so many places, that churches are emptying out because why bother? If it's it's no different from the world, why get up on Sunday morning on a cold, wet Sunday morning? Pull the covers up a little bit more over your nose and snuggle in with Mr. Magoo. All right. Today, what happened... When she bit the fruit. Verse 7. No, no strange words in there. Any, somebody read verse 7, please. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed big leaves together and made themselves loincloths. It doesn't say this explicitly here. But this is the moment when sin entered the world. This is the moment when sin entered the world. I'm going to bounce to a couple of verses in Scripture. Um, let me start over there. Uh, 
Joseph, would you turn to Romans chapter 5, please? Marie, would you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2? <laughs> Shauna, Romans chapter 3. The portaphone. Okay, this is the moment when sin enters the world and... This is declared to us in the New Testament. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Joseph. Just the verse. Yep. Uh, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Sin entered the world through... One man. Interesting that, that Eve is, is not indicted there. Adam is indicted. But does it mean man like male, or does it just mean man like we say? The, the, the specificity there, and as he goes on to speak of Adam in that whole section, lends you to believe that they're speaking through Adam, because it is through Adam that many believe... I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. We have beliefs and convictions. Beliefs we can, yeah, okay, some may disagree, and, and we can all still have fellowship. Convictions, those are the things that make or breaks. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The Word is inspired and inerrant. Virgin birth, those kinds of things. Triune God. So many believe that it is through man that the sin nature is spread based on essentially that verse right there. Others may argue differently, but it seems fairly clear um, and that would explain how a virgin birth through a fallible woman could lead to a holy sinless Christ but death's sin entered the world through one man again if you argued that it was through both of them but it was at that moment that sin entered the world 1 Timothy 2, 14. Uh, this is kind of Eve, Eve's... It's not, it's not a, she, she's condemned with Adam. They were both guilty there. But this is why you see the weight not laid upon Eve's shoulders. Chapter 2, verse 14. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a By saying Adam was not deceived, that is not, it's not a diss on Eve there. Adam holds a greater responsibility. And this is why I believe that sin enters the world through Adam and not Eve. Clearly says she is a sinner for what she did. She was deceived and she is a sinner. We'll talk about deception here a little bit later also. Sin enters the world at this time. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 18. Sorry, Shani, you get a big one. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside, they have together become unprofitable. There is none who is good, no, not one. Their throat isn't open to, with their, tongue, with their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. His mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. 
Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. 323 also, if you would, please. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Yep. Okay, so if, if, we take, if we take especially those passages that Shauna read, what common belief in our culture can we put a stake in the heart of? People are ultimately good. Oh, you're, we're good. We're ultimately good. Look out the window. Really? Look in the mirror. Really? Unlock your doors and windows and see how much you trust. Yeah. <laughs> what does it for me is always how early your babies start to have bad attitudes and like get mad when they don't get their way. You don't have to teach them that? No. Oh, I mean, not my kids, but <laughs> they come by it, honestly. It's unbelievable. It's like, how, how is a little, yeah, they're so cute. And, 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 and then all of a sudden, the fangs come out and little horns start, oh, what? that's my baby. Sin entered the world at this point. Their eyes were opened. The eyes of both were opened. Literally or figuratively? Okay, figuratively. They're seeing. Of course, they, they can see. So, so what does it mean? Their eyes were opened. To see good and evil. Before that, they only saw good. They only understood good. They only knew good. They only knew God. Okay, Last week we talked about, did they know evil? And what did we say? Did they understand evil? Yes. Yes. Why? Because God gave them a don't. God gave them a don't. So there is the evil. The evil is, don't do this thing. Do they comprehend the consequences. Well, they, they were told in chapter 2, verse 17, for in that day you will surely die. Okay? We talked about knowing last week. Kind of, and we could only come up with two ways of knowing. If somebody came up with the third way of knowing, you can let me know, or you can share it. So, I wasn't here last week, but like intellectual knowing versus experiential knowing? Yes, those are them. Those are the two. You can learn by reading a book or you can learn by turning the wrench. Okay? You either learn an experience or you learn you can have a knowledge of. We're saying the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is referring to the second knowing. Neither one at this point. At this point. We'll we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, Because God's even going to speak of that. Here a little bit later. Um, Can I ask a question? May I ask a question? In the 1 Timothy 2.14 passage, where it said that Adam was not deceived. 
So is that saying that Adam did it knowingly yep. where Eve was deceived by the serpent? By the serpent. Yep. But the responsibility fell on both of them. Meaning that she may have been deceived, but she went ahead and did it. They're both condemned. They're both condemned. Sin entered the world through Adam. They're both condemned. But if Romans 5 is saying what I think it says, sin enters the world through Adam and death through sin. Okay, let's see. Where was I? Um, Seeing, knowing. Experiential knowledge and... So they had, they didn't have an experiential knowledge. They had simply an intellectual knowledge. That, hey, don't do that, you'll die. Okay, great. Uh, example of people that we know who have an intellectual knowledge but not an experiential knowledge was an male OB doctor. Okay. Well, he has, he has the visual experience in that he's seen and delivered so many babies, but yeah, no, that's like to deliver a baby. Never will. Okay, he can't. A counselor who counsels on depression and suicide, if they have never been suicidal, do they have any place to counsel those who are suicidal? Absolutely. You don't have to experience it to know about something, to know of something. Heroin. Talked about heroin. I don't need to know that heroin's going to mess you up by experiencing it. Don't need to take it. Okay? Um... The, the tree. God says in a few verses, he asks them, did you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Let's see. Can't find it. Oh, have, uh, verse 11. Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Now, we'll get to God's questions here in a little bit. Certainly God knew this thing. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat of it, you will surely die. Satan says your eyes will be opened. Their eyes are opened. And so, what do they know now that they didn't know before? Shame. Naked. They now have experienced it. And so, you will now know it more completely. Who knows evil? I mentioned this last week also. Who knows and comprehends and understands evil more completely than Satan himself? Yeah, God Almighty. And he knows it without experiencing it. 
So. Wouldn't you say, though, in some aspect that Jesus Christ did experience it? Mm-hmm. From, like, being the object of it versus... The temptation, but not... That way. That way. They knew they were naked. Was this a bad thing? Okay. That's how they were made. It was not a thing. Five minutes beforehand, this was not a thing. It was no big deal. But they are now exposed. Moments before, Adam had no issue with God looking upon them. It's not a thing. Now there is a stain in their soul and they feel guilt. Why do they feel guilt? they're guilty (laughs) they experience guilt because they're guilty we experience shame because we are guilty now is that let me let me zorch forward to our present day is that a bad thing to feel shame to feel guilt no not right appropriately talked about it yesterday. Go ahead. Well, in one sense, yes, in that that means you are guilty and therefore condemned to hell and separated from God at the moment of feeling guilt. But if the first step to true knowledge is realizing that you are separated from God and not everything is okay uh, to see your um, to the, uh, the soil of your heart being prepared for the gospel uh, and the good news of Christ, then that's a good thing. Guilt. I would argue again is a, is a good thing. It's a good thing now. You know, it's a bad thing that it exists, but it, it exists because of sin. But guilt is going to take you one of two directions. What are the two directions guilt will take you? Repentance or death. First Corinthians chapter seven. Second Corinthians chapter seven. Second Corinthians seven. It will either lead to repentance, and this is good. Paul praises this. This is a good thing. Or it is going to lead to death and destruction. Who wants that? Well, it would seem that everybody does. Satan wants that. Satan Satan wants you to feel that guilt, and he wants it to take you further. He wants, okay, let, let's, let's throw some heroin on it to maybe mask that guilt. And, oh, how about uh, you might have to rob a store to, you know, uh, continue your addiction now. And uh, now, women or whatever, you know, pick your, 
predilection. But that's what Satan wants. God wants restoration. God wants you to come to the cross. Here, like Joseph was saying. That is a good thing. But it's wretched now that they feel this. Some people will heap false guilt upon themselves or they've done no, nothing. Or they will accept the guilt that somebody else puts on them when, now, I'm not saying ignore counsel of others, but there are a lot of things in the world that people say, oh, you know, I uh, shouldn't be doing that. No, you shouldn't think that way. You shouldn't say those things. And you know. But God's word says, okay, so don't, don't bear a false guilt out there. If you are dealing with something, you know, man, I'm feeling really guilty about this, and you don't know how to deal with it, talk to somebody. If you're going, I don't know if this is biblical, if this is scriptural, talk to somebody in the faith here. Their eyes were open. They knew they were naked, and what did they do? Not yet. Yeah. They, they tried to cover themselves. This is the first instance of false religion. Okay. I want to cover this stain in my soul. And I'm going to do it with fig leaves. How do I fix the mess that I've made so I try to fix it? You know, it's like the child who breaks the pot, mom's favorite pot, and then tries to glue it together, hopes that mom won't see it, and just puts it back on the shelf. Mom's going to know. Man tries to fix it. I mean, this is, it's, to read this, it's, it is a sad account. It is pitiful to watch this. Verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, here you go, Tracy, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Was God always present in the garden? Yeah, sure it was. He's omnipresent. So perhaps from this, that there were times when God would manifest his presence. How? I don't know. Through a rustling of the trees or something. Don't know. But they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. This was normal. This was natural, and here's the best part, it will one day be restored, where we will walk with him again on streets of gold, in perfect fellowship with one another, in a glorious place that Christ is preparing for us, even now we will see our Lord and our Savior. 
But back here on this day, we see a shattered relationship. Because did ever before they hide themselves from God? I mean, it, it wouldn't even have crossed their minds to do that. You know, well, how do you hide from the omnipresent? Good luck with that. But it's their desperation, though. Yeah, but a, but a child, you know, I think of Eliana. You know, so you go bopping through the sanctuary after worship today, you know, bouncing from person to person with her sparkly blue eyes. And she's happy there. But if she ever does something very plainly and blatantly wrong. She's not going to be bouncy and sparkly before mom and dad. There's going to be that, that I, I've got to hide. It's, something's not right. I have to hide something. And that relationship is, is broken. Do we... Today, let's say, when I say we, let's say man. Does man today need to hide themselves from God? No. Why not? Okay, man. Fallen, rebellious, treasonous, wretched man. Okay, good. Should he? No. He should. He should tell and hide. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You do not comprehend the living God. Fallen man does not comprehend the living God. He's not going to understand that he can't hide from God, but he should. Now that should be his, but he doesn't care. They're numb. They're dead in their trespasses and sin. Christian, do we need to hide ourselves from God? Why not? Jesus. Jesus. It's Sunday school after all. The bell has been torn. That is true. Okay. Tracy, Romans 8. David, Hebrews 4. probably quoted it. Romans 8, verse 1, please. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, what about the sin you're going to do later this afternoon? Confess <clears throat> it. Uh, nope. Hold on. Hold on. Colossians chapter 2 says, all of it was nailed to the tree. Taking it all nailing it to the tree. Joseph. Do you think this, uh, this man need to hide from God? Do you think the answer to that is no for the old covenant as well? Because the promise of Abraham and the goodness and mercy of God in Romans or Genesis 12 kind of reigns over the old covenant as well. And that is looking forward to Christ. So yeah. there's, a, there's a mercy of God Absolutely. across the whole, both, both covenants. 
Absolutely. You know, we're going we're to see that here in just a minute. God could have just at this point gone and torched the whole thing at that point. Wow. But he didn't. God didn't. Yeah. You know, um, grace. I mean, we'll, we're going to see in just a few moments, grace, lavish grace. So there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None ever. None. There is none. You won't ever have any. If you are in Christ Jesus, you have no condemnation. There is none. Merry Christmas. No condemnation. Therefore, Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We don't have to hide. I've uh, had a number of conversations in the last couple of months I hear folks say that when I am in sin, I don't want to go before God. I don't want to go to God. Okay, there's that, there's that whole hide themselves kind of thing. But when do you know, need to go to God? When you don't want to. Yeah, when you don't <laughs> want to. You don't want to. You are not going to get the stern father with the paddle. You're going to get your Lord and Savior's arms, probably with tears in his face. Oh, I'm coming back. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's going to clean up those little stains that we get from time to time. But this, this right here, this hiding themselves, this is the fundamental messed up thing in the cosmos. Man's relationship with God is broken. And people don't get it. Because they're blinded by sin. Absolutely. They know it. Romans chapter 1 says they know it. And they suppress it. Suppress the truth of God with a lie. And we know none can hide from God. Every man knows this brokenness. Every man, I say man, male and female, knows this brokenness. And so they're hiding in the trees from the all-seeing living God. And he doesn't abandon them. I mean, this is the, apart from creation, this is the first most extraordinary depiction of grace in Scripture that God calls out to them. That God will even take the time with them. God is even now, as he calls to them, disciplining them, bringing discipline into their life, helping them to see and comprehend and understand what has just happened. God calls out to the man, where are you? Adam says, verse 10, I heard the sound of you in the garden, 
And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Any problems with that? Straightforward. Okay. Rightly so. At this point, rightly so. I heard you. I was afraid. I was naked, which again, oops, oops. You just you just laid it on the table there, and I hid myself. Adam's shame comes out in spades. You know, it's interesting that even in man's brokenness, he still understands the consequence of God. He understands the consequence of God immediately. He's afraid because he's not right. He knows the relationship is broken. He doesn't want God to look on him anymore. But God, God calls to him in grace. A couple other passages I'd like to look at. Uh, Christina, would you turn to Psalm 103? Psalm 103. Katie, would you turn to Romans chapter 5? I will simply allude to the last one because it's longer. Psalm 103, great psalm. Psalm 103, verse 14. For he knew our frame, he remembered that we are dust. God knows we are dust. God doesn't think we're ubermensch, supermen. God knows we're dust. God knows we're creatures. God knows we're finite. God knows we're failed. No, Frail, knows we're feeble, knows now, especially in our fallen nature, that we are apt, because of the brokenness of our soul, to off-road and face plant. He knows we are but dust. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay. God shows his love for us. God shows his love for us. He calls out to Adam. The one who rebelled against him. While we are still sinners, Christ dies for us. Man could not, would not, had no desire to make himself better. Was not going to get better prior to the cross. It wasn't going to happen. The cross was necessary and needful. It had to come while we were still sinners because we were never not going to be still sinners. The other passage that, that highlights God's great grace is Luke chapter 15. You actually have three parables, but I was thinking primarily of the lost sheep. 99 sheep, one lost, and the shepherd goes out to look for the one. The widow with her coin, she's got ten coins, loses one. She goes and tears the house apart looking for the one. And then the uh, story of the prodigal son is also there in Luke 
15. But in there we see God's great grace upon his people. And then when God asks about what is this that has gone down, the blame starts. God keys on one thing that Adam says in verse 11. He says, who told you you were naked? Duh. You know, what's, what's, what's the other? You know, how, how do you not be naked? I mean, they knew to cover themselves. And so he knew, you know, that again, something was wrong inside as he tries to cover. And God says, who told you you were naked? And so he leaves them no wiggle room and says, have you eaten of the tree? Adam. Verse 12. The man said, the woman whom you gave me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. I was compelled. Couldn't help it. He's an American. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Who does he blame? Okay, don't miss that, man. Words, words mean things, and words can be... Mm. If he had just said the woman gave me the fruit, da 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 da, okay, he's, he's blaming the woman. But in a sense, he would have been blaming God as well because God has given him this extraordinary treasure. But he doesn't say that. He says, The woman you gave me, you gave me this, this woman. You know, this thing that was just a just a few lessons ago was Isha. Oh, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Oh, what a treasure! This one is like me. Oh, this woman you gave me right off the bat. Okay, you will surely die. You see the death that has infected the man here vividly because right now in that statement, you see how badly wrecked his relationship with the living God is. It's his relationship with his wife. We're, not, we're, we're getting there. Okay, There's, there, are, there are a number of things here with that, that, are, that are wrecked. When sin entered the world, and we, we talked about it just a, a bit ago. It's really man's relationship with God. It's wrecked. That he would, that he would blame God for this. Really, God, it's your fault. You put the, I'm surprised he didn't say, yeah, you put the tree here. If there, you hadn't put the tree here, then it wouldn't have been an issue. But no, you decided you were going to put a head, you know, whatever. He might have thought that even if he you know, I, I have no doubt in his sinful nature he wrestled with that afterwards. 
just knowing my own sinful heart, that would seem to be. He faults God for causing him to sin. I mean, you... People will do that. We will do that. Well, God brought this thing in my life. You know? The circumstances, for those who believe in God's circumstances, you know, it's, it's God's fault that I took that money because it was just laying there. Well, I don't say God could have stopped it. Yes! <laughs> Sorry. What just happened to marriages? Right there. Right there. This is going to come out in the curses next week. But you see that man's relationship with his primary other relationship, his bride, is, is trashed. And by implication, his relationship with other people is trashed. It's trashed right now. You're already looking at others with the hairy eyeball. Suspect. You don't trust them. You have. You know they're broken. You know they're going to mm, stab you in the back when you're not looking. They were one flesh. And now they're two. They're divided. And if they want to be one flesh, it's going to take work. This woman, she's not my helper. She's not a blessing from you. She is my adversary. You've got a wrecked relationship with the guy in the mirror too. He doesn't see his sin. He doesn't see his own sin. God gave him the opportunity. God in his grace, what have you done? I sinned. This is where David hit it out of the park. I sinned. Nothing else. I sinned. Now he is left without a clear understanding of who he is in relationship to the cosmos because he's untethered himself, untied himself from the God who made him. And that's going to have a great implication on ultimately God's purpose for him in Genesis 1, 26 through 29 about having dominion, being fruitful, and multiplying. And we'll look at that as we look at the curse. The woman. So the Lord turns to the woman. God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the ser serpent deceived me, and I ate. Truth? Yep. 
She might have added, I sinned. She could have ended that right there. I sinned. I was deceived. And I ate. I'm sorry. So, in the church today, we see Eve deceived. The church is the bride of Christ. How alert must we be to deception in the church today? Yes. What rages against us? Okay, give me some examples of how the church is being deceived. False teachers. Okay, what are they teaching? Okay, you can be healed. Um, you can be wealthy. If you're not hurting anyone else with your essential sin, then it's not, then it's okay. But God is love, and so he wants you to be happy. They're tickling the ears of the audience. What do you want to hear? That's what I will preach. Mm -hmm. Works based religion. Okay. Do this, this, and this, and you'll be okay. You'll be right with God. A couple of Hail, Hail Marys and you know the question is going to be for the church as we go forward in life how are we going to respond to it and and really man we this is we've got to know that we've got to be people of the word we've if we love our Lord and Savior we have got to cling to his word we've got to know his word so that if we start getting whispered <coughs> communications and we're going, that just doesn't, that sounds wonky. What do I do? And you look at what were Eve's options. Eve could have gone to Adam. Eve could have gone to God. Or Eve could have bit the fruit. Okay, so the good options were, you know, go to God. How do we go to God? How are we going to go to God? In prayer. prayer. What did you say? In prayer. prayer. His word. His word. Possibly through other believers. Okay, good. If you folks are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, I would like to hope that you would give me godly counsel. And I would like to hope that is one of the purposes of pastors and elders in the church, is to go to for counsel, please. They had the added benefit that they could have literally just called out to God and he would have presented it yeah. to them. Yeah. Said, nope, didn't say that. Yep. <coughs> you know, and again, your, your spouse, if you have a spouse, you brothers and sisters in Christ, huge. So, just some, some takeaways. Next week we're going to look at the actual curses that God meets out upon his creatures and, and upon creation. And these things, probably again, we'll emphasize. We'll look at some of the battles that are raging in between husbands and wives now because of this incident here that now has poisoned us all. So, 
Hopefully, our response to sin as believers now, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, saturated in the Word of God, is going to be different than Adam and Eve. Know that you are not going to want to go to God when you are in sin. Know this, know this, and defy Satan and rush to God. Don't wait a year like David and let your bones get out of joint from grief and sorrow, but go to the living God. Know that our God is a God of lavish grace and kindness, especially toward those who love him. God, grace, grace, God's grace, grace. It's by grace you have been saved through faith, this not of yourselves. Know that your relationships are broken. You know this. You know this cognitively. Okay? So what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? If I know these things are broken, as I know that my flesh is going to want to diss God or betray my wife or hate myself, if I know these things, then I need to be looking to Christ and His power to overcome these things. Because I can't overcome them in my flesh. My flesh is weak. I need Christ and His power. I need to see where I am weak. Because when I am weak, then I will be strong through Him. The fallout here. Any, any thoughts or questions on this section that we looked at here this morning?